one thing. Great to be carrying on our series in the book of Philippians. And as we uh, come to this time to gather around God's word together, there's at least three things going on. Um, I've done some praying, I've done some reading and some studying, some hopefully I've got some helpful things to bring. That's my part. I'm going to ask for God's help. There's your part. Can I encourage you to have an open heart, an open mind as we unpack Philippians together? And there's the part of the Holy Spirit that comes and makes God's words alive and speaks to us through God's amazing word. So let's pray. All come in to bring our part. And Lord, we say, here we are. We've got open hearts and minds as we gather around your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will come and speak to us and encourage us and challenge us, reveal more of who Jesus is and more of what it looks like to know him and live for him. We say that you are the one thing, you are the one Jesus that we love, that we adore, that we seek to follow and know more. We give you this time and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, If you were here last week or maybe caught up online, uh, we read and thought about Paul's love and affection for the believers in Philippi, his prayers for them, and we thought about what it means to partner together in the gospel. The gospel tells us, according to verse 8 of chapter 2 in Philippians, that Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we can be forgiven so that we can enjoy life forever with our maker. As Jesus died and rose again, we too, we can leave our old ways of life behind and enter new life with Jesus. One of my favorite pictures of the gospel story is baptism. And it's great to have a couple of baptisms tonight and to hear two stories of how people have come to know the gospel and enjoy. You might want to come and join us uh, tonight to hear those stories and celebrate. I wonder if you have ever thought, uh, amazing gospel, but, but why the wait? Why the wait? If we have got the promise of life with Jesus forever, why the wait? Why can't we go and enjoy it fully now? Why doesn't Jesus come back now? Or maybe life has been so hard that you thought, why can't I fast forward a little bit? and be with Jesus now. Maybe you haven't thought about that. Maybe you've thought about it on a kind of theoretical level, or maybe you've been at times in your life when it's been so hard, this has been a live question for you. Well, Paul makes it clear in this passage, in this bit of Philippians, that he knew pain and suffering himself, and that he had thought about this question. Perhaps this was because execution was a real possibility for him. The trials he'd been on, an actual trial that he was awaiting. He says, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul was convinced that in life and in death, Jesus was the one that mattered, knowing him and making him known. God is God, and we see in this passage today that God is at work in all circumstances. Paul knew that life after the one we know will be better by far, he says, but he concluded that there was so much more to live for now too. And I want to show us this morning that this one thing, Jesus, that Paul was pursuing and focused on could not be stopped. It couldn't be stopped by the circumstances, the chains he found himself in. It couldn't be stopped by the false motives of others. He 
knew and somehow trusted that God was at work in all circumstances. So firstly then, let me point out how he knew that God was at work even through his chains. He highlights here the chains that he's in. He talks about what's happened to him. He talks about the palace guard. He talks about being in chains a few times in these opening verses of our passage. Now, Paul had shared the gospel in Philippi, and he helped found the church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. He baptized Lydia and some others, but now he's in chains for his faith. We think Paul was probably writing this letter from Rome. But even in chains, he hasn't given up pursuing Jesus and trying to make him known. In fact, he says that what's happened to him, the hard circumstances he finds himself in, has actually led to the gospel advancing. God has been at work in and through the hard times that he's in, through being chained. Now, everyone where he was knew that he was in chains. He was imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus. It was the pursuit of some who wanted to lock him up so they could shut him up. But this didn't work. It was the Jews on some occasions. Other times it was the Gentiles who were mad that he'd been setting people free. Like the girl who had some kind of spiritual prophetic power in Philippi who Paul set free. People were mad. Now, we know that Paul was in writing from a place in chains in prison but he actually had been in prison quite a lot. I'm not confident Paul would have passed a DBS check these days. He was imprisoned at Philippi in Acts 16. He was there with Silas for only a short time as there was a miraculous prison break that took place and the jailer actually who was looking after him ended up coming to faith and him and his household getting baptised as well. In Jerusalem, in Acts 21, Paul was also imprisoned, and Jews spread all sorts of lies about him and caused a riot, something that nearly led to his death. He went on to be sent to Caesarea, and then eventually via a shipwreck to Rome, where he remained under house arrest. It's worth reading from Acts 21 to the end of the book of Acts, just to see Paul's prison career, if you like. The traditional view is that Paul is writing Philippians from Rome, where we know he spent two years under house arrest, which enabled him the freedom to receive visitors and to be able to write and send letters to others. This seems most likely. I want to picture this for a moment. A child is on a car journey with a parent who has found the exact moment to talk to them about something they've been waiting to for a while. There is no escape for that child. Your neighbour, who can talk for England, needs to pop over because they've got an electricity power cut in the evening. You welcome them in, and there is no escape for you. Maybe you're stuck in a lift with a friend, a friend who's been trying to figure out why you've been a little bit off with them recently. There's no escape for you in that moment. Well, for those who were in the palace guard, there was no escape from Paul and the one thing he would have wanted to be talking about. When Paul writes about the palace guard, he writes about the Praetorian guard, 
which was a unit of around 900 soldiers who formed the Roman Emperor's personal bodyguard team. They were also given other important duties to do in and around Rome. If under house arrest in Rome, Paul could have had just one soldier from a team looking after him. Uh, scholars think that maybe they had kind of four-hour shifts at a time. So Paul had four hours with each guard, and there was no escape for them. Paul made it clear to everyone that he came across why he was in chains. They all knew. I wonder what kind of reports they said as they came back to one another. Have you done the shift with Paul yet? Did he tell you about this Jesus guy again? There might have been mixed reactions, perhaps. But we know there were some positive reactions. At the end of Philippians, in chapter 4 and verse 22, we read, All God's people here send you greetings. And Paul points out, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So some of them have come to faith in Jesus, even though he's been in chains. The chains, they haven't stopped Paul. God has been at work through him, even in this time. Paul writes of wanting others to dare all the more to proclaim Christ without fear. He writes of not wanting to be ashamed and having courage. And at the end of Acts, in chapter 28 and verse 31, it points to the fact that Paul did continue in this vein, that he continued with his one thing, Jesus Christ, as his focus. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the picture we get of Paul at the end of Acts. This is two years in house arrest in Rome. comes to an end. The chains wouldn't stop his pursuit of knowing Jesus and making him known and seeing God at work. And this wasn't just in himself, but also in others. We spot the language here again of brothers and sisters. Ellen pointed out last week the affectionate, loving language they had for the believers he was writing to. Here it is again. But he wants them to become confident in the Lord and sharing the gospel as well. He even says that because of his chains, they could become more confident. Well, how could that happen? Was he, was he with them? Here's a few ideas. Maybe it was because he was praying for them. Maybe it was because some people had come and visited him. People like Ephroditus, uh, who brought the special gift from Philippi, or Timothy, who was with him. Or it was perhaps because people were receiving the letters of encouragement that he was sending out. But prison didn't stop God being at work in and through him. And we can be tempted that God might not want to be at work, that he might not be close and present, because like Paul, we can find ourselves in situations we hoped or wanted wouldn't be the case. Painful ones, undesired situations. I know there are many in our church family living with pain, disappointment, fear, stress, and what we could call circumstances that we don't want. Maybe your health is not what you hoped for. Relationships and family life haven't worked out the way you pictured it. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. Work life is particularly draining and hard. Results day was disappointing. Career opportunities haven't opened up like you dreamt. Well, Paul experienced that prison was no barrier for still seeing God at work and still seeing the gospel spread. And I want to encourage us 
that we too can know that God can work all things for good for those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. So chains were no barrier for Paul in still knowing that God was the God of all circumstances and was still at rest, uh, still at work in and through him. And neither were the wrong motives of others going to stop Paul sharing about Jesus and rejoicing that Jesus is being made known. That was his one thing. I don't know if you've ever observed a Christian sharing a faith in a way where you've questioned their motives. They're doing it for show. They just want to look good and have attention. Maybe you have thought. Well, here in verse 17, it even suggests that those Paul was talking about were trying to cause trouble for Paul. While Paul was in chains, Jesus was being preached still by some out of love, by others out of selfish ambition. But either way, Paul was pleased because Christ was being preached. And for this, verse 18 tells us, he rejoiced. In other places, Paul challenged and corrected his opponents, but this doesn't appear to be a different gospel message that they were sharing. It was people were sharing with the wrong motives. Just note that, remember this, because next week Paul points out the humble example of Christ that we're called to follow. We'll pay some more attention to that next week. But God is at work through imperfect people with imperfect motives. Maybe that could be a reassurance for imperfect people like us. This doesn't make it okay, and Paul's letter does address these attitudes. But Paul still finds reason to rejoice. And like Paul, we can rejoice when Jesus is getting the attention, when he, the one thing, is being made known. He was grateful for the prayers of those he was writing to, of the support of them. And he was hopeful that he would be set free. He talks about wanting things to turn out for his deliverance. But this one thing, Jesus, remained central for him. He wanted to live for Jesus, and he wanted to make him known. He was confident that God was still the God in all circumstances, even the hard ones. Verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Despite contemplating what was better for him to be with Christ soon, or to go on sharing the gospel, to go on living his earthly life for now, he concluded that he still had more to contribute. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Note again here his selfless focus on the progress and joy of others, of giving of himself for the sake of others. He models what partnership in the gospel looks like. It might be better for him to be with Jesus, but for the sake of others and for the progress and joy of others, he will give more. I'm so grateful to be part of a church that is full of people that are giving for the sake of others. There are dozens of them doing that just now, serving our children and young people, so that they might be able to find progress and joy in faith 
as well. I love Paul's summary in this passage. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Our life now is about Jesus, about committing to him and becoming more like him, about knowing him and making him known. He says, and to die is gain. We have recently lost some treasured members in our church community. But for those who trust in Jesus and receive his gift of eternal life, Paul says to die is gain. To die is to journey through the grave to life eternal with Jesus, where there is no pain or suffering or illness. This can be a comfort for us, even if it remains incredibly painful and hard to those of us left behind. Those grieving at the moment are very much in our prayers at the moment. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. The spread of the gospel that Paul was calling his readers to partner in would not be hidden. It wouldn't be hidden by the chains he found himself in. It wouldn't be hidden by the motives of others. I want to say that today it can't be hindered as well. I love at the end of the summer hearing all sorts of stories of different ways God's been at work as people have gone off on various camps or gone and served on different trips and events. I love hearing the encouraging stories of how God has been at work drawing people to himself. I'm looking forward to hearing two more stories about baptisms tonight. When we respond to the gospel of grace, that news that we can know God and receive his forgiveness when we turn to him and trust in Jesus, it gives us hope for life after this one. But it also draws our attention to the fact that the one thing that is important now, the one thing that Paul was adamant on pursuing, is Jesus. Paul was focused on one thing, forgetting what had gone on before in his former life of persecuting Christians, forgetting all the hardship that he had faced since becoming a follower of Jesus. He continues to push on to know Jesus and make him known. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Chains couldn't stop him. He wouldn't be discouraged by others' wrong motives. What was important was that Jesus was the one who was being made known, the one thing in life, the one thing in death that was important to Paul, the one thing he was calling others to live for too. So do you know that God wants us to partner with him? in the gospel, even when situations are hard. God is still the God of all circumstances. Can you say, with the help of God's spirit, that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Where does does this leave us? Three things that might be helpful to take away. There might be others as well. Maybe it's helpful to know the reassurance that just like Paul, somehow knew God at work, even in a hard situation when he was in chains. God is God always and everywhere, whether it feels like it or not. Maybe we need the reassurance of knowing that God is the God who is always at work. Maybe we we need to hear the invitation. It's great to regularly have uh, people who are new to us as a church, uh, visiting, maybe thinking about faith for themselves, Have you heard the invitation from Jesus that real life is found in him, made possible through his death and resurrection? 
as Paul puts it, to live is Christ? Have you accepted Christ as the one that you can live for? The one whose rescue that we all need. The one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that through his resurrection, we might be able to live for him and with him and to his glory as well. There's an invitation there. And maybe there's something comforting and helpful about Paul's confidence that to die is gain. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe in a time of grief and mourning, the comfort and promise that to die is gain for those who trust in Jesus. And Paul says that that is far better. God is the God of all circumstances. God is the God of all circumstances. We can be reassured. We can respond again to his invitation. And we can take comfort that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me invite you to take a moment of quiet. Maybe you want to ponder. Maybe you want to say, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to highlight for me? Is there something particularly you want to say to me through this passage? Let's take a moment of quiet together. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of everywhere and everything. And we choose to put our trust in you for that again today, particularly those of us that are going through hard circumstances. Lord, we ask for your help. We say we've got a little bit of trust and we ask for some more. We choose to trust that you are the God of all circumstances. Thank you that in Paul's hardship, you were still at work. We pray we'd see signs of your hand, of your love, that you're still at work even in hard times. Thank you for the life, Jesus, that we can find in you and you alone. Thank you that forgiveness and eternal life is open to all of us. And we treasure you, Jesus, that that's made possible by the amazing work you did on the cross and rising again. And we thank you for the comfort and the hope of a better life than this one. We praise you. And we honor you, Jesus, the one thing. You are the one we worship and adore. In Jesus' name, amen.